tonight. Welcome to Bible study. Glad you're here. Hey, Sid. Yeah. We're going to take some time, open our time in prayer, and then let's see what God has to say tonight as we look into the Bible together. So, Heavenly Father, thanks for this time to meet, the place to meet, opportunity to hear from you. We ask that you would lead, you would guide, you would empower by your Holy Spirit, Pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us tonight. That we would have an open mind, an open heart, and just be ready to receive what you may want to teach us. So we ask you, God, that you would move. We pray, Father, that you would reveal. We pray, God, that we would be ready to receive. Uh, have your way, Lord. Pray, God, your power. Pray your anointing. I pray God your revelation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 28. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com. That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. It could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good you guys doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you need a Bible, one should be located on the table uh, where you're seated. If not, there'd be one on an adjacent table. Isaiah chapter 28. And we need a volunteer to read verse 15 of Isaiah 28. Verse 15. You boast we have entered into a covenant with death, with the realm of the dead we have made an agreement, when an overwhelming storage sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we have made a lie our refuge, and falsehood our hiding place. All right. Uh, the... The way this is written and the way you need to understand it is that the prophet Isaiah speaks for the people. And what he's doing there is he's describing their actions but putting them into words. In other words, this is what he's seeing through the actions of the people that he's speaking to, the people that he's prophesying to. He's watching them. He's watching how they're reacting to things. He's watching how they're reacting to the prophetic word that he's giving them. He's watching how they're reacting to the leadership of the day. 
and he makes a statement. He says, well, this is what you're thinking. This is what you're saying. You're boasting, you're bragging in your hearts, not through your words necessarily, but by your conduct. And if we understand each other over the time that I've been teaching and the time that you've been hearing me teach, one of the things that I emphasize a lot is that words talk is cheap. In other words, people say things all the time. They proclaim things all the time. They will, whatever. They, they are the, talk is cheap. Words are cheap. And so people, whatever they say, they say. But what's proved out in our lives is really by our action. And, and that's really what matters. Uh, I use the example a lot in relationships uh, where we talk about love. And it's easy to say, I love you. But it's more difficult to live that out. And that's lived out over time, that's lived out through circumstances, that's lived out through however many uh, different things that come our way, but our lives reflect that we love someone, our actions reflect that we love someone more than our words. And I think if you've been in those kind of relationships before where someone has proclaimed their undying love and yet they don't really love you, you kind of understand what I'm talking about, is that, yeah, we can say it, but living it is what really matters. And so... And so he, what, what Isaiah is looking at, he's looking at a people that he prophesied. He said, this is what's going to happen. There's, there's an Assyrian army that's going to come. And during the reign of Hezekiah, uh, there was a, an agreement made between the king and the Assyrian king. And there was a tribute that was to be paid to the Assyrian king over time. And as that tribute, that yearly tribute would be paid to him, the Assyrians didn't invade Israel. And so that was the deal. At some point, Hezekiah decided, well, I'm not going to pay tribute anymore. And so he stopped paying the Assyrian king. He stopped his end of the bargain. And so that opened up the door for the Assyrians to invade uh, Israel. And so Isaiah, seeing what was going on, hearing from God, getting the word from God, began to prophesy that this is what's going to happen, that Israel is going to be invaded by the Assyrians. And these are the things that the Assyrians are going to do. And so the call went out to Israel to repent, to turn from idolatry, to turn from wickedness, to turn from the practices that they were involved in, turn back to God, and begin to live according to how God wanted them to live. And so they were given an opportunity to avoid destruction, to avoid what was coming their way. They were given an opportunity to change their ways in order to see a different outcome. Well, what Isaiah saw was that the people... Even though he prophesied this is what's going to happen and this is the destruction that's going to come, you guys need to change your ways. That's what he was telling them. What they said was, no. How they say that? By not changing. So in other words, they just continued on in what they were doing. They continued on in the lifestyle that they were living. They continued on in the idol worship that they were involved in. They continued on in the relationships that they were involved in. They continued on in doing the things that were detestable to God and against their covenant with God. And so, by their actions or inaction, however you want to see that, they were making this claim. They were bragging. They were boasting. And they were saying the things that you read in this verse. You guys following me on this? Alright, because if you just read this, because we took it out of context, but trying to bring it into context for you is to understand, okay, well, this is why he takes this voice. This is why he begins to speak for the people. Because what he's trying to point out to them is that by their actions, by their inactions, these are the things that they're saying. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Is what are they actually saying by their inaction? What are they actually saying by their actions, by their conduct, not necessarily their words? What are they saying in their hearts? What are they bragging about? What are they boasting about? And, and like I said, it's not a formal statement that they're making, and it, but it's, it's as they're living as such. And again, talk is cheap. They could have said, oh yeah, we'll change. Yeah, but what's going to prove that out if they change? Well, if they're not going to change, they're not going to change. And so the, this was all being proven out and all being lived out as such in the way that they were choosing to live their lives. And so what you see here is a wrong covenant being described. And Isaiah puts this word to it, and that is that they had made a covenant, or they believed that they had made a covenant with death and with hell. That's, that's what's described in those verses. And so he's saying, okay, but by your inaction and by your lack of moving in the direction of God, what you've done is you're proclaiming and you're bragging about a, a covenant where you believe that you have secured your own safety and security. That's what they were doing. And, and so he called that a covenant with death. In other words, they made death their friend by their inaction, by their belief by whatever was driving that inaction or driving whatever they were doing in, their, in, in, in following after their disobedience to God. They made death their friend while making God their enemy. And that's absurd. That's absurd. That the people of God, His people, would by their actions make death their friend or try to make death their friend. Or through their actions proclaim, we're, we've already made death our friend. We're not worried about that. Because what was the prophet telling him? He's like, well, the Assyrians are going to invade and they're going to kill you. The Assyrians are going to invade and they're going to take your stuff. The Assyrians are going to invade and they're going to destroy your cities. And they're going to destroy their families. And they're going to destroy all the things. They're going to bring a wave of destruction over Israel. And that was the proclamation. And the people said, oh yeah, we don't care. What does that mean? Well, that means, and Isaiah's putting the worst that they had in somehow in their mind, somehow in their thoughts, oh, well, they must be friends with death then. In other words, we'll be friends with death so death won't hurt us. We'll just keep doing nothing. We'll just keep not responding. We'll just keep not following after God. We'll just keep doing the same things that we were doing. This bringing this destruction upon them, just going to keep doing it with the false belief, the absurd belief, that everything's just going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. I hope this kind of sounds familiar. Because we see the same thing. We're watching the same thing happen. That, that when you hear things and, and, and in these proclamations that are being made, that the truth that's being brought out and people just don't change. They just go about still doing the same things. Why? Because they live under a deception. Well, I'll just keep doing the same thing. Nothing's happened yet. Well, yeah, that's the prophecy. It hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Yeah, it hasn't taken place, but it is. It will. And it's them just living in a deception saying, yeah, well, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And Isaiah describes that as making friends, quote-unquote, with death. Making a covenant with death. And... At the same time, by not changing, making God their enemy. And again, that is an absurdity. And it was a really, really bold picture 
that Isaiah is painting in these words. And remember, the Bible is a picture book. It, it, it describes pictures. It describes scenes. You know, you think about Jesus, how he taught, and how he taught in parables. Well, he was telling stories. He was creating a picture. He was creating a scene. And really, the Bible's like that. The Bible's not like a textbook in the sense that, oh, you just read the facts and, and you can gain the understanding. It's not like that. It, it paints a picture. And you have to be able to see the picture to really gain the understanding of what it's painting and, and the real ideas behind it. And the picture that's being painted here is a really bold picture. And, it, and it's expressing, and, and, and I know this is going to sound offensive, but it's a fact, it's expressing the extraordinary stupidity of the nation that Isaiah was speaking to. And it was extraordinary stupidity. Because here you have, and you could just look at the facts and say, all right, well, you have a king who broke a covenant with the king of Assyria, and it's a possibility Assyrians are going to invade now. Because the thing that was keeping them from invasion was this payment that was being made every year. So you could, you could, you could, you could have an induction right there and say, okay, well, so the percentages of the invasion have gone up because you can induce that because the payment has stopped. So, all right, we can figure that at least that much of it out. Now you have a prophet, a known prophet, who's prophesying and saying the invasion is coming. And this is what's going to happen when they invade. It's going to be horrible. All these bad things are going to happen. All this destruction is going to come. All these things are going to happen. Here's your opportunity for change. Make certain decisions. Make certain changes in your life. Get yourself back in line with what God has for you. And if you'll do that, then perhaps we can avoid all of the destruction, all the problems that are coming. That sounds reasonable. In a theocracy, that sounds completely reasonable to me. So the prophet of God speaks that over the people. They hear what he says, and they make a decision to do nothing, to change nothing. And so he draws this picture. You've made friends with death. And you've made an enemy of God. And that was a bold picture that he's painting because he says, not only have you done this unknowingly, you're boasting about it and you're bragging about it. In other words, you're doing it boldly. You're doing it boldly. So he's painting this picture to draw attention to the extraordinary stupidity of the situation. Destruction's coming. Do something. No. No. Because hmm. I, I don't know, we could put this into some other kind of context, I guess a personal context if you want. If you want to think about, if you get a warning, if you get a warning that someone is going to attack you or attack your house, and you do absolutely nothing in response to that, and when the attack comes, is that not extraordinary stupidity? No. I mean, I, I want you to understand that. And that's the situation they're in. They have a warning. The attack is coming. You can do X, Y, and Z to avoid it. No, I'm not going to do that. So then you get attacked. There's some extraordinary stupidity in that. Especially when you're given the way out. 
you're given the way out. It's like this is what you need to do in order to prepare for it. This is what you need to do in order to avoid it. This is what you need to do in order to get out of the situation that's going to bring destruction on you and your house. Just do these things, these three things. Do them. No. There you go. So, so he makes this bold statement. Paints a bold picture because I believe he's trying to shake these people out of their complacency. Because they're just willing to sit there. They're just willing to keep doing what they were doing. They're just willing to, to be attacked and bear the destruction that's about to happen to them because they just don't want to change. Because what they had done is they had made lies a refuge. Now what do I mean by that? Kind of in a New Testament sense, kind of in the way that we look at things, it's like when people trust in their own righteousness. In other words, you know, we're given the opportunity to know Jesus. Awesome. We're given the opportunity to hear the gospel, respond to the gospel. Perfect. We're given the opportunity to participate in the righteousness of Christ. Because that's what the Bible says, is that we take on the righteousness of Christ. Well, how righteous is He? Ultimately righteous. And He offers us His righteousness that we can put on ourselves. Because we, we fail at it all the time. We have a proven track record of failing at righteousness. I mean, you might be the nicest person in the world, but you fail at righteousness sometimes. That, that there's things that go on in our minds, there's things that go on in our lives, things that go I mean, we just have failed. We're not the nicest person all the time. We don't tell the truth all the time. We, we don't respond well all the time. Sometimes we're taken away by anger. Sometimes we, we, you know, whatever. Whatever the situation is. We're carried by our desires. We're carried by our wants or whatever it is. You know, we, we lie to ourselves. It could be a number of different things, but no one is perfectly righteous. And so, except for Jesus, and He gives us, He says, here, you can take on my righteousness. I give it to you. Come into a relationship with me. Abide with me. I'll abide with you. You can take my righteousness. Cool. So he gives us that opportunity. Well, a lie that we can take refuge in, instead of giving our lives to Jesus, instead of finding our refuge in Him and in His righteousness and His holiness and His life and finding life in Him, a lie that we tell ourselves is that we can trust in our own righteousness. And by doing so, how do you do that? Well, you pretend certain things don't exist in your own life. In other words, you ignore them. So you can emphasize the good stuff in your life. That's fine. And then you compare yourself to people around you so that you can be more righteous than them. All right? And so we build this world of lies in order to exist within this self-created refuge of righteousness, self-righteousness. And, and it's pointless. It's fruitless. It takes a lot of energy to build your own little world. It does. It takes, it takes more energy in order to support that world. Right? And, and, you know, I, I've been around enough people in my life that have been self-righteous. I, I did a lot of work in church work when I was younger. I, I came to know Jesus when I, I think I was 19 years old. Immediately was in a church situation. Immediately was working with a pastor. Uh, became an assistant pastor. I did everything there was to do in the church, just about. I mean, from the church janitor all the way up to whatever I was doing, youth pastor and, and some of the other things, Sunday school teacher and running the Royal Rangers and, 
and whatever else I did within the church, all right? And so I did all of that. Then I traveled as an evangelist. I traveled as a home missionary. And I went from church to church. I was in hundreds of churches and been around whatever that block is. Done it. I was a chaplain at Syracuse University. I was a campus minister at Fredonia State College. I was a chaplain at Cornell University. Blah, blah, blah. All right. I held a district uh, position where I oversaw all the campus ministry and singles ministry in New York State. Great. I ran seven conventions a year. Awesome. The only reason I'm telling you all this stuff is I was around a lot of Christians. I was around a lot of people. And I had my share of and I had my taste for it fulfilled completely and utterly of people that could tell me how righteous they were. When deep down inside, it's just not true. And it requires way too much energy to lie to yourself about that. Some of the most unhappy people I've ever met in my life have been the most self-righteous. And it is truly unhappy. Truly unhappy. Because deep down inside, we all know that we're not that righteous. We all know that we fail. We all know that we come up short. We all know that we, we, we don't fulfill everything that we believe we're supposed to fulfill and all the rest of that kind of stuff when it comes to that life. And that's why like, the, the Word of the Gospel and the offer of Jesus is so precious. It's that it relieves us of that. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to lie. We don't have to find a refuge in some kind of a deception. We don't have to look at other people and put them down to make ourselves feel better. We don't have to do it. And, and when you look at the history of the church and you look at why... You know, I talk to people like, why aren't you a Christian? Well, because of this, this, and this. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Self-righteous? Good point. Hypocrites? Good point. You know, you're going to go on and on? Sure. Good point. And, and I understand those points completely. Because our only real hope and our only real refuge is found in Jesus. And, and you can try to figure yourself out a different way, but it's not going to work. You can try to intellectualize a way, and it's not going to work. It's just not. One of my first contacts with intellectual Christians uh, was with... Uh, I had a professor in college that agreed to do an independent study with me. And uh, he was a, at least partially, I don't know what they call that, maybe an adjunct with uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. And gave me an opportunity to not only learn from him, but to also travel and to learn from others that he knew and to participate in seminars and participate in weekend kind of things. And, and really... I guess glean what I could from from that world, and talk about unhappy. Talk about unfulfilled. Smart, I mean, super smart, really smart people, but not really alive. Not really experiencing a a life in Christ. A, a union with God. 
And I'm not talking about knowing about him, because they knew a lot. I'm not talking about having facts and, and understanding biblical language and understanding biblical history and understanding uh, word usage and, and being able to dissect a passage of Scripture or any of those things. That's not what I'm talking about. Understanding the Bible in context of history. Understanding the Bible in context of culture. Understanding the Bible in context of modern culture, modern trends, all of those kind of things. The social sciences applied to biblical understanding. Yeah, all those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Experts. Brilliant. But what about a connection with the Almighty? What about a living connection? Life, a shared life? Yeah. No, not so much. And and that 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 stood out to me. And it's not that I didn't learn from guys like that, it wasn't that I didn't learn from those situations because I did, I learned a lot, but I didn't really learn about being one with Jesus from those guys. I didn't learn about a heart response to His heart from those guys. And I suppose, you know, there can be a balance. I suppose there can be, you know, give and take in those areas. But if I'm going to major on anything, it's going to be my heart to His heart. It's going to be my life to His life. And not the other stuff. The other stuff's awesome, but it's not as awesome as sharing life with Jesus. Nah. And so these people that Isaiah was speaking to, Isaiah had a heart connection with God. And he was hearing the heart of God. And the heart of God was for those people. And he's just calling them. He's like, I want you. I want you. And that's what he was calling them to. I want you in relationship with me. I want you to know me. I want you to live with me. I want you to to be sharing life with me. I want to call you out of the fruitlessness of the idolatry. I want to call you out of the destructiveness of the idolatry that's going on in your life. I want you with me. That's what God called for them. And Isaiah was giving them that. And he was calling them. That heart of God calling them over. And they just ignored him. They were just ignoring him. And they made a decision through ignoring him. We've got it. We'll just do it our way. And Isaiah said, that is absurd. That is absurd. You will destroy your own lives by doing that. No, no, we got it figured out. They didn't. But the lie of that, the lie of that, that's extraordinary stupidity. To just find your refuge in that kind of a lie. You see, they became scorners of the prophet. Scorners of the Word of God. They, they're sneering at the prophet. Because the prophet tells them, this is what's going to happen. This is what the end result of this. If you keep going in this direction, come on over. God, God wants you. He wants your life. He, he wants to know you. He wants to join hearts with you. He wants, he wants to join you in love and life. That's what He wants. Come on over. Now we got it. There's a saying uh, that people use now. I don't know, and you've heard this before, I'm sure. When you offer something to someone, you say, hey, would you like X, Y, or Z? And the person looks at you and they say, no, I'm good. Right? Isn't that what people say? 
No, I'm good. No, you're not. No, you're not. And and really to say that's kind of fruitless because, you know, if they say they're good, that means leave me alone. But but the idea behind it is is this idea. Do you, you kind of hear what I'm saying? That this is the idea behind that. It's like, oh, no, I'm good. In other words, I am perfectly happy in my refuge of life. That I have chosen what I want to believe. Whether it leads to my destruction or not, I don't care. This is the way I'm going. This is what it is. And that's it. And you got a prophet, a perfectly good prophet too, Isaiah. Because he was a perfectly good priest before he was a perfectly good prophet. He was obviously someone that had dedicated his life, his whole life to God, serving God. He had a supernatural vision. If you look at Isaiah chapter 6, supernatural vision, supernatural, where he even saw Jesus in that vision in the temple at that time. Hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, he saw him. He saw his glory. And so he's trying to to give these people ideas, like this is what's going to happen. Please come over here. No, we're good. We're good. You're going to be destroyed. Come on, come on. You can come on. No, we're good. And so he says, "You, you, this is where you're at. And 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 so by saying that that they've made friends with death, and they've made you know they've made a covenant with death, and made made friends with hell and all that. Well, that means well that I guess because all that represents judgment. And they were just basically saying, yeah, that judgment that can't touch us. That can't touch us. Because that idea of the judgment, idea of of what it was called there, that flood. The flood that Isaiah was describing was that invasion that was coming. The flood was, and, and the word that's used there is the same word to be used for a whip or a scourge. You know what a scourge is? I don't know, when somebody's flogged, you know what that is? It's, it's like a whip, but it's got a little bit extra on it. Like they would tie pieces of metal or glass or pottery into the ends of it so that when it would hit somebody's skin... It would tear their skin a little bit, or a lot. And so the idea then, that word that's used of that flood, it's an idea of a whip or a scourge, like this is what the Assyrians are coming with against you guys. This is what's going to happen. And no, we're good, it can't hurt us. Yeah, it can actually. And it will. No, we're good. You know you can avoid this by doing X, Y, and Z. We're good, nope. This is the way out. This is, you can avoid this this whip, this scourge, this, this what's coming. You can avoid it. No, no, we're all good. Now, why am I taking so long on this? I'm taking so long on this because I want you to understand that this, that response, whether it's in our life or in the life of someone that we're speaking to, that response is, by its very nature, deception. Deception. And for us as individuals, we need to fight deception in our lives. Because we want, in some ways, to be deceived. And you have to actively fight that. Because what's easier? What's the easiest course? What's the easiest path? Right, the path of least resistance. What is the path of least resistance? Nothing. Right. 
stationary, stagnant, sitting around, doing nothing. The path of least resistance is the easiest path. But the easiest path is not often the best path. It's just the easiest. And so in your spiritual life, I want you to begin to think about which path you find yourself on the most. And this is no judgment. And I mean this. This is no judgment. I just want you to think about it. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular right now in any way, shape, or form, and I'm staring at the floor. Okay? And I'm not even looking at anybody. But I want you to consider where you find your path. Which one are you on most of the time? I mean, seriously. Is it the path of least resistance? In other words, nothing. Or are you taking the hard road? You're like, Andy, nobody wants to take the hard road. Don't they? Don't they? You know there's a whole movement out there right now reminding people, reminding people that comfort is a slow death? Okay, that's a common saying right now in social media circles because there's guys out there that are trying to motivate people to do something, anything, anything, except for just exist. Except for just the bare minimum. Except for just just whatever. Let it all go by. And I'm going to tell you something. Legalizing weed is not helping people not take the path of least resistance. Because I don't know many go-getters that are high on weed all the time. I don't. And I'm sure you can think of one, maybe, and argue with me all you want about it. But most of the time, most of the time, the vast majority of the time, that behavior does not lead to really getting out there and getting it done. It just doesn't. Unless you're a drywaller, and then it might. But if you're a sheetrocker, that might help, but I don't know. That's the only people I, you know, regularly use it that I see get anything done. And that's kind of a joke, so. Don't become a sheetrocker. So, so where are you at? Because this world of deception and this world of lies, you have to actively fight against it. And even if you have a prophet, a known prophet, speaking the truth to you over and over and over and over and over again, it's still possible to live in the lies and do nothing. Because where motivation needs to come from is not going to be anywhere outside of you. Not really. Because I, I can, I, you know, you, you think about it, it's like, well, you can have somebody like motivating you, okay? But that only goes so far. It only goes so far. And, 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 and no matter what happens, you're going to make the ultimate decision about what you're actually going to do. Some of you know I work with people uh, in their physical fitness, their health. And every now and then I'll get somebody to say, hey, could you draw me up an eating plan or something and, and, and you know help me out with that? Sure. I'm more than happy to. My particular certification, I, I have a certain uh, ability, I have a certain um, privilege to write up certain 
eating plans, things like that, so I do. But I know something when I'm writing that up. And it doesn't stop me from writing it up either. But I know something. Here's what I know. If a person wants to follow it, they will. If they don't, what's going to happen? They won't, right? Right. Because, you know, I don't live with those people. Thank God. And, I, and I'm not standing over them. And even if I did live with them, how would I stand over them every meal? Your, your, your percentages are off. You're going to stand over every meal. You need to have more protein with that. Stand over every meal. Hey, I think you're a little short on fat right now. No. Nobody wants to hear that. Because that motivation and that kind of desire, that's going to come from somewhere inside of them. Not from me. And, and Isaiah somehow understood that. And so that's why he turned it to them. He's like, I've spoken the truth to you. I've told you this is what's going to happen. These are the things that you need to do and you're doing nothing about it. Well, here's what's going on inside of you. And that's what he spoke to him. This is what's happening inside of you instead of me. Is that it's easier to live a lie than to make the change. Because living the lie is the path of least resistance. Because you don't have to do anything. Just keep living the lie. Keep living in the deception. And, and what happens is, is that when we're self-deceived on the path of least resistance, we're self-deceived in, in doing nothing, then we're not moved by the appeals of God. And we're not moved by the appeals of the gospel. We're not moved by the appeals of the word. And we learn to depend on lies for the illusion of safety. And eventually those lies get broken. And we realize that we're unsafe. And we realize we need something. And we realize that something needs to change. And something will change. And we'll get motivated for a little while and make the change and move forward. But then we get comfortable and then we go back into that world of self-deception again. And that was what Isaiah was describing. And so if you're thinking, back to my question for you, if you're thinking, you're saying, oh yeah, you know, I'm really, my spiritual life is more dormant than it is active. I'm, I'm probably not doing anything more often than I am. I'm not motivated more often than I am motivated. If that's the case then you're going to have to begin in your own life to fight deception and to fight lies. Because that's got to come from you. It's got to come from you. And people will sometimes point things out to you and you can be completely unmoved by that until you're ready to be moved. People can share things, truth with you, and you can be completely unmoved by that until you're ready to be moved. You can hear the greatest revelation that has ever been revealed on, in, in your lifetime. And until you're ready to receive that, until you're ready to be moved by that, you're just unmoved. I mean, I get frustrated teaching. I get frustrated you know, being part of worship. I get frustrated with a lot of things when people are just completely unmoved. What, what, am I going to play harder? You know? I could turn up my bass, I guess. Maybe that'll move something. To 11, yeah. I'll add an extra number onto my bass to turn it up even louder. 
But you know what? It's not going to matter. It's not going to matter until something inside of you moves. Something inside of me moves. And we fight the deception. And we come into church, not just same old, same old, oh, it's Sunday, blah, 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 blah. But we come into church ready to move. We come into church ready to be moved on. Ready to, ready to respond. Not the same old, not the stagnant, not the, the, the oh, oh, it's going to be this again. But ready in here, fighting the deception, fighting the lies, fighting the stuff that's just not true and getting out there and grabbing a hold of something real and alive. But that's true on Monday. That's true on Tuesday. That's true on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Something that's alive. The illusion of safety is an illusion. Illusion is the key word of that. Not safety. You understand me? The illusion of safety, the key word in that statement is illusion. Because there's no safety in that illusion. We just pretend it is. It's just not. And that's what you have to remind yourself of. It's an illusion. That's the key word. And whether or not it finds you out today or tomorrow, it doesn't matter. Or a week from now, it doesn't matter. It's not safe. Living in illusion, living in a lie, living in deception is not safe by its very nature. Because I'll tell you something. That in the description, the absurd, the absurd thing that Isaiah said here, agreeing with, finding agreement or covenant with death doesn't protect you from dying. Do you know that? You can tell me all you want. Well, I've, I've made my peace with death. You're still going to die. Alright? And it's okay to live in peace. Alright? We can live not afraid of dying. We can live not afraid of, of whatever it is that's coming in the next life or whatever it is. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. These people somehow thought, well, I've made my peace with death or I've made my agreement with death or, or I've, I've uh, made, made my covenant with death so now death can't get me. Because that's what they were saying. They said, oh, the Assyrians are coming. Well, I've made my covenant with death so I'm safe. They can't hurt me. That's not true. That is an illusion of safety, but not safe at all. That's a lie, but that's what they chose to believe. Now, apply that to whatever you want. Apply that to whatever the situation is. Oh, I, I don't need to serve God every day. You don't? No, no, I'm fine. You are? I don't think so. I, I don't think that that's going to lead to your betterment. I don't think that's going to lead to your prosperity. I don't believe that's going to lead to the future that God has for you. Just because you say... I've made my peace with X, Y, or Z doesn't mean that it's the case. I've made my covenant with death. I'm protected. Nope, you're still going to die. You're still going to die. And and that's okay. Agreeing with hell, well, that doesn't protect you from destruction. doesn't protect you from the lies of the enemy. That doesn't protect you from Anything that the enemy wants to bring, destruction that the enemy brings into your life. Nobody nobody makes a covenant with hell. Nobody. You know, we kind of make jokes about different rock stars over the years. 
you know, making, you know, they make their agreement with the devil or whatever. Yeah, you know, uh, one of the, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he should have made a covenant with Jenny Craig, man. I, I don't know about the devil. But, you know, where does it all lead? We all die. We all die. And I'll tell you about Glenn Danzig. If you don't know who he is, don't worry about him. But, you know, that little child of the devil, that guy. I mean, nobody even likes that guy. Nobody. And and living your life like that, living your life in, in such a space like that, I mean, is that living? Not really. Not really. So, you know, whether it's a joke or it's not a joke or whatever, it's absurd. And that's the absurdity that you're seeing that is being revealed through this word that Isaiah is giving. It's an absurdity to live like that. And so what Isaiah is doing, he's calling them out. Because they had learned to hide in this absurdity. They had learned to lie, hide in this lie. They learned to, to hide in this deception. And as Christians, we were given tools in order to live in that deception. Churches will give you the tools in order to live in deception. They just will. Like, like the Gospel says, go ye into all the world and preach the Gospel. And so the church says, yeah, just give your money. And that's how you're supporting the evangelistic efforts of the church and so therefore you're going. No, you're not. You're helping people go by giving your money. Thank you. But that still doesn't fulfill that over your life. That's not the commission being filled over your life to go. Am I willing to give you an excuse not to do that? No, I'm not. you got to deal with that. you got to deal with that commission that Jesus gave to every believer to go do that. You deal with it. And it's not by giving your money that excuses you from, from following after that commission that God gives. I go down a whole list of things just like that, that we're giving, well, what, what God really means by that. And as soon as you start saying stuff like, well, what He really means, you just, you just detached yourself from His Word. But it's by detaching ourselves from His Word that we can live in deception. Say, well, Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what that really means is, no, it means what it means. A cam- it's easier for a camel to gallop through the eye of a surgical needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, now, discuss and deal. But that's attached to the Word. And we have to remain attached to the Word if it's going to mean anything in our life. And that's the problem, is that when we begin to learn to hide... And whatever it is we're hiding in, in that detachment, there's no change, there's no life, there's no reality there. It's just self-deception. And so the prophet's calling them out. Calling them out. So I'm going to finish up here. Jesus is the truth. So, if we don't want to live in a lie, we want to live in the truth. Jesus is the truth. He embodies the truth. So rather than argue about what is truth, because that was the question that Pilate asked Jesus, what is truth? Or the heir or whoever he asked that question to. So what is truth? Well, we have truth in a person. His name is Jesus. And so by our attachment to him, we attach ourselves to truth. 
That, and that goes without us trying to figure out the truth. That brings us into relationship with the truth. And if you've ever been in a relationship with another person, you can spend eternity trying to figure out another person and still not be able to do it. And so we attach ourselves to the person of Jesus. And it's through that attachment with Him that we begin to understand truth. Okay, somebody look at this kind of a weird jump here, but I want you to get this. Revelation 6, 8. Revelation 6, 8. Now keep your finger, if you haven't already lost it, in Isaiah 28. But Revelation 6, 8. Okay, that's the truth. Okay, now listen. That's the truth. The people in Isaiah's time were saying they made a covenant with death and Hades. Alright? They made friends with death and Hades. That's what they said to themselves. That's a lie. What's the truth? Revelation chapter 6 and verse 8 is the truth. Is that, what are, the, what are those horses' names? Or who's riding on those horses? Death and Hades. And they're coming for everybody. Alright? <laughs> That's the truth. So, whether or not those people in Isaiah thought, alright, well, okay, well, we made our we made our peace with death and Hades. Now they're coming for you. Alright? That's the truth. And so, there's lots of lies and there's lots of deception in our lives where we say, oh, well, we've made our peace with this or we did this or, or that. Yeah, that ain't the truth. And I just wanted to point out something that was the abject, not the truth kind of thing here. Alright? You get that? You get those people back in Isaiah? Isaiah's trying to tell them, he's trying to wake them up. Alright? Well, if you go to the end of the story in the Revelation, you look at it like, Isaiah was right. Those people were wrong. And every one of those people that believe that lie are dead. 100%. 100% of them are dead. Because death and Hades came for them and got them. So if you go back to Isaiah 28, we read verse 15. In Isaiah 28, if you read verse 16, of Isaiah 28. What does it say? You just read it yourself. Nobody has to read it out loud. You read it yourself and you tell me who that's talking about. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16, who's that talking about? Jesus. Jesus. So, think about that. You got the deception, you got the lies, you got Isaiah saying, okay, come on out of the lies. And what does he say? Well, how are you going to come out of the lies? A bunch of hundred years before Jesus ever was born. How does he say you do it? Jesus. Because he's the truth. He's the stone. He's the cornerstone. He's the sure foundation. So I look at Matthew 21, 44. 
Matthew 21, 44. So there's that stone from Isaiah. Go back to verse 43. Yeah. Therefore I tell you what the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Alright. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees here in Isaiah 20, or excuse me, Matthew 21. He's speaking to the Pharisees and, and the Pharisees are the, the most religious. Okay, they're the best at religion. They're like the best religiousers. Okay? And so, they, they're the champions of religion. They're, they're the best. And so, no one compares to them. They were so, like, religious that they would even take the smallest of spices and make sure they'd separate a tenth of it in order to give. To make sure they were tithing on every little bit, every little dot of it. All right, that's how religious they were, and and they they looked a certain way, they spoke a certain way, they lived a certain way, they did certain things. They were the best of all the religious people, and Jesus looked at them, and and this isn't the most offensive thing he said, but this is this was offensive to them. He said to them, he said, listen, he's like, you're not going to get the kingdom. You're the most religious of all the people, but you're not going to get the kingdom. The kingdom is going to be given to a people that aren't even close to being as religious as you are. In fact, in another place, even more offensively, he said prostitutes and tax collectors will enter the kingdom before you do. And it's interesting that he followed that statement up. Because that statement's us, okay? That, that statement, that's us that we entered the kingdom before all of those really religious, religious people. Why? Because they fell on the stone. Right? They, they couldn't accept Jesus. They couldn't do it. They couldn't just receive Jesus. They, they, they couldn't just say, it's His righteousness. It's His life. It's His sacrifice. It's His offer of love. It's His forgiveness that we need. It's His mercy. It's His grace. And find, instead, of, instead of trying to fight that so that we can deceive ourselves that we're righteous enough or we're holy enough or that we can do it ourselves, instead of, instead of trying to fight it and ended up falling on it and getting ourselves busted up, we built our house on it. We took it as a foundation instead of as a rock that, are, that we just got busted up on. Instead, we looked at it and said, that's pretty solid. I'm going to build my house there. And so the rock that busted them up is the same rock that became the foundation of our house. The nature of living in the truth is finding our sufficiency in Jesus. That is the nature of it. And if that isn't the foundation of us living outside of self-deception, 
we will consistently fall back into self-deception in our lives. He has to be the foundation of truth in our life. And we have to keep coming back to Him. Last verse tonight is John 14.6. John 14.6. Yeah. Alright. So he, he makes that statement... And people want to look at that statement and make that into some kind of statement of, of being exclusive. That's not what that statement is. He's not, he's not trying to be exclusive of anybody. He's making a statement saying, if we want to live in the truth, then we come to the truth through Him. We want to live in love and mercy, we come to love and mercy through Him. We want to know how to get to the Father and we want a path, we want a road, we want a way. We want, we want to live our lives. And we're going to come through Him. We're going to live through Him. He offers Himself as the way. And He's not trying to exclude anybody. He's just saying, come on. Here's the way. And if you think about it, I mean, really, think about this for a second. If you make a genuine offer to someone, you only offer them what you can give, right? I mean, I could offer you a million dollars right now. That's not a genuine offer. I don't have a million dollars. And so Jesus made a genuine offer to the whole world of Himself. And it was genuine because it's Him. It's what He can offer. Do you follow? So when He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no one comes to the Father except by Me, what He's saying is, I can offer you Me. I can offer you this way. Well, that's all He could offer. Because that's a genuine offer. And so as the prophet Isaiah called the people of Israel out of their deception, out of their slumber, Jesus calls us in, out of our deception and our slumber and into His truth, into Him. Because that's what He can offer. And I want to encourage you tonight to take him up on it. Because just as Isaiah, I mean, ultimately Isaiah pointed to Jesus right in that verse. The stone that the builder rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. Yeah. That's him. And then we saw in the verses in Matthew and we saw that he takes that upon himself. That's who he is. And we'll either build our house on that or build a pretty shaky house. He offers Himself. And I'm thankful that's a genuine offer that you can take if you're willing.
And so I encourage you toward that tonight. I encourage you out of stagnation. I encourage you out of laziness. I encourage you out of self-righteousness. Spiritual stagnation. In the life and in the truth. So let's take a few moments. We'll pray. And I just encourage you as we're praying just to respond. That's between you and God. That's you and His business. But He's here with a genuine offer tonight. Only He can make that offer. Only He can fulfill the terms of it. I just encourage you to take Him up on it. Jesus, tonight we thank You that You're the way and the truth. You're life. And that You provide us with truth. I pray, God, that we would find ourselves in relationship, in abiding life with that truth. With You. Truth as a person. Truth being given through relationship and life together. God, thank You. I pray that deception will be broken over our lives. I pray lies to be broken over our lives. I pray, Lord, that truth will begin to send its light into the dark places in us. Places that are afraid or places that are lazy. Places that are hurt. Places that are hopeless. Places where we're deceived. And I pray, God, for there to be light shined into those dark places tonight for hope to be restored, life to come, hurts to be healed, truth to be established. And I pray, God, a calling out of deception and lies tonight that lie of self-sufficiency, that lie of self-righteousness, and called into a truth and a life. I thank You that the kingdom has been given. People like us God, tonight I just ask that we would take you up on the life you're offering. I pray your liberty. I pray your freedom. I pray for something fundamental to change in our hearts and our minds tonight. 
the change in our spirits. God, we give you thanks. We recognize you as the way and the truth. We recognize you as the life tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. Yeah, see, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.